That's beautiful. Who has not seen this film? Okay, there's a few of you. All right, well, you've got to dedicate five or six hours of your time to watch this film uh, ASAP. Uh, but it's just, you know, there's a lot of cheesiness. 1956, so, you know, it's not exactly a lot of computer animation going on. Um, but really, um, these commandments, just like the film, are pretty epic and pretty substantial for humankind or people kind, I should say. Um, thou shalt not underestimate the impact on human history of the Ten Commandments. Now, why is that? Why am I saying thou shalt not underestimate their impact? Because they are a pillar of Canadian legal, civil, law, uh, society, if you will. Uh, pillar of our legal system, foundational to our law in Canada and Western nations. And, and there can be no doubt that over the last 3,000 or so years that these Ten Commandments were given to us by God, they have actually transformed the world in a good and helpful way. You see, God himself directly, audibly, from his voice from the top of Mount Sinai to down to the people of God below, audibly, initially gave these Ten Commandments to his people, and then he actually wrote them down with his finger in rock. God can do that, only God can, in rock so that they would remember these commandments. And really what God was doing back then, as he's doing for us today, is sort of casting a vision uh, for how to best love God and best love other people, that's a great way in which you can summarize the Ten Commandments. How to best love God and how to best love others, how to best thrive in life, these are what the commandments can do for us. Here's a good word picture that I shared last week uh, to sort of see how or connect these commandments to our lives. The word picture is to see the commandments, all ten of them, as guardrails. If you've ever been to Whistler any time recently, or even back in the day, apparently that road to Whistler was even more uh, death, def or uh, you know, could put your life in great danger. Uh, but as the as the, the highway is now built, they actually built highway out of thin air. They had to put highway there. You know, that's that's how much more safe it is now. And when you travel to Whistler, are you not glad that they actually put these guardrails on the side? of the road so that you don't plunge over into the ocean, so that you are not eaten by orca whales, so that you are not eaten by, even worse, sea snails. Who wants to be eaten by sea snails? I do not. Oh, uh, Bruce does. Great. Well, next, uh, you're, up, you're up that direction all the time. Aren't you glad, though, for guardrails? You do, eh? Yeah, it's real. It's legit. It's not a fake picture like I normally put up. Anyhow, the Ten Commandments are like guardrails for your life to keep you from derailing your life, going off the side, plunging over and diving back into sin, diving into self-debauchery uh, and addiction and messing up your relationships. You see, if you sin, that's really the, the key to messing up your life, destroying you, destroying your relationships, destroying your relationship with God, and that's the worst thing ever. And so there's the impetus, there's the, the motivational side of it, for why I pray that you listen to what I have to say today that God is saying to us through these commandments, uh, commandments numbers 4 to 6. And with that, let's begin with an outline. There is a sermon insert in your bulletin. Amazingly thrilling to fill in those blanks. And the number one on that insert is this. So this is commandment number 4, but it's number 1, just so that everyone is thoroughly confused now. Commandment number 4 is number point number 1 in your notes, simply... Following our Creator's pattern and example, think about yourself. You take a day off each week for rest and worship, setting the day apart as holy. 
following our Creator's pattern and example, take a day off, at least one day off each week for rest and worship, setting the day apart as holy. We get that from verses 8 to 11 that Bruce read for us. And really, let me just summarize verses 8 to 11. In short, God says, remember, remember, remember the Sabbath day. By the way, do you know what Sabbath means? In the ancient, it's an ancient transliterated Hebrew word. And Shabbat is the way that it's pronounced. And it actually means literally rest. Shabbat means rest or it means stop working. Isn't that a great word, by the way? Stop working. On Friday, 5 p.m., isn't it a great feeling to finally stop working if, unless you're in shift work like Matt over here? And I don't know what, is it ever, always a regular time that you're always done work at? No, it's always different. Whatever that time is at the end of your shift, just to stop working is just so freeing and, and so renewing. And, and their Shabbat, their Sabbath day was actually Saturday, and their Sabbath day began when? Friday at sundown, just an hour before sundown, and then it lasted until sundown on Saturday night. So it was actually about 25 hours. And God goes on to say, don't work on the Sabbath. You or your servants or the people who are helping you in your household that you've employed or the immigrants, even the immigrants who are not part of the Hebrew nation. And then he says, not even your livestock, not even your cows, your sheep, your goats, your, your chickens, whatever they had, they need to stop working too. They need a break. And that only shows us God actually cares for animals. So should we. Now, why does God command them and their workers and their servants and all their animals to take this Sabbath day off work and make it a holy day in which not only to rest from their work, but to worship God on that day? Because he says, here's his reasoning. He says, Bruce read this, I myself made the world in six days, and then I rested on the seventh day. Meaning, you got to follow my example. All right? Take every seventh day off, just like I did. That's what God, God is saying to them. And, and David Guzik says this about the, this command, and I quote, It's as if God said, having too much to do, who has not said that? Everyone says, i got too much to do, i got too much going on. Having too much to do isn't an excuse from taking the rest that you need. I created the universe, God says, and found time to rest from my work, so why can't you? If God took time off to rest from his work of making creation, why can't you take a regular rest each, at least one day per week? Some of you are in this room, and some of you are either, uh, you don't know that you're a workaholic, or you say often, I am a workaholic, okay? I won't ask you to raise hands or anything, all right? But there's workaholics in this room, and you needed to hear this commandment. You needed to hear God say, perhaps, maybe we're saying in a paraphrased way, if I needed time to rest from my work, why can't you? If our all-powerful God, by the way, the question is, did God need a rest? Does God ever need a break? Does God need a vacation? I mean, it's a busy job, wouldn't you say? The fact is, no, he, an all-powerful powerful person never needs a break, never needs rest, never needs a vacation. God never gets tired, right? He's all-powerful, almighty. And so if even God, the all-powerful God who never needed a rest, if even God takes a day of rest, why wouldn't you? Because you and I get tired, do we not? You and I get exhausted all the time. It's like God is saying, you are not God, all right? So take a break. You are not God. So take a break. Stop acting like God.
by working all the time. Now, there's a lot more I could say about this Sabbath principle. Let me just share a couple more things to help you understand the context. Uh, The Hebrew people, when they were standing before God, God speaking to them audibly from the top of Mount Sinai and then giving them this commandment number four to take some Sabbath rest one day per week, um, you need to know that those people down below were formerly Egyptian slaves. That means if you were a slave, by the way, and they were treated really badly, really horribly by the Egyptians, um, did they ever have a day off from their slavery, do you think? They never had a day off. So basically, God's people were being were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. And so if you lived 400 years, that would mean you never had a day off in 400 years, okay? Uh, which they did not. But imagine your whole lifetime never having a day off no vacation, no rights, no day off for you. And so here is God and His goodness and His grace. He mandates. He says, you know what? You're different now. You're no longer slaves to those Egyptians. You're now mine. You're now my people. And as a member of my people, you're going to take a day off. You need that. Every week, you need to remember that everything comes from me, that I made everything. So connecting your day off with me and the fact that I took a day off after making all creation, so connecting your day off with God, and also to remember on that seventh Sabbath day, who redeemed you from the Egyptians? God did. So it's a day of thanksgiving towards God, worship towards God for redeeming them from those horrible Egyptians and giving them their freedom. And so here's the connection. We are not Hebrew people by and large. Um, we tend to be Christians here in this room. And so we are now God's people, engrafted into the tree of, in the family of God's people. And so what you need to do is you need to see your day off uh, as a separate day from the rest of the week. Um, and on that day, you need to remember, oh yeah, everything I have is because of God. My health, my job, my family, my food, my my home, my car, my existence, everything. Everything I have, everything I possess, everything I enjoy comes from your hand, O oh God. And having a day off each week to worship God and to remember Him and to thank Him for these things is what your soul needs. It gives you joy. It keeps you connected with God. It's healthy. He is my sustainer. He is my source. Every time you think about that and declare that and pray that, it is good and helpful for you. Furthermore, did you know that we also, like the Hebrews back in the day, were slaves? You and I were slaves. We were, before we became Christians, we were beholden to Satan and living life his way versus our own. We were beholden to sin and addiction. We were enslaved to spiritual darkness, but thanks be to God, he was not satisfied with you or I living in a, in a world of spiritual darkness and sin and addiction. And so what did he do? out of compassion for you, out of love for you. He sent Jesus Christ, God the Son, to earth to live the perfect life that you and I could not live. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for all of your sins in your place as the perfect sacrifice. And then Jesus rose from the dead thereafter, three days. And so you and I, we need to take our Sabbath day off, which now for Christians happens to be generally Sundays. And we take Sundays off as best we can to worship and to thank God Thank you for freeing me from Satan, from sin, from death, and from addiction. Very quickly, let me just 
clarify something. You might be asking, why don't Christians observe Saturday, the proper Hebrew Shabbat day, as our Sabbath day? Why is Sunday now the day for Christians, generally speaking, except for the the Seventh-day Adventists? Well, first of all, according to Colossians chapter 2, it's now believed by most Bible scholars that we are not bound in the same way by the fourth commandment that the Hebrew nation was back in the day, uh, which is why Christians, uh, since the time of Jesus' resurrection uh, from the dead, what day did Jesus' resurrection happen on? Sunday, Sunday, which is why we worship God generally uh, together on Sundays, okay? And, And so the thing is, it's generally believed that it is a wise and good thing to follow the, the Sabbath principle. So we're not bound by it. It doesn't have to be Saturdays anymore. But it's, this is a good, healthy, helpful principle for you to follow and to obey, to take at least one day off, week, uh, work, uh, one day off from work per week, and then on that day to worship God with your church family, to remember ultimate Sabbath rest. You see, the whole point of Sabbath is not only to help you rest. All of you are exhausted. All of you need this day of rest, as I do. And and that's part of the purpose of it. But part of the purpose of the day of Sabbath is to point forward to when every day is Sabbath in the new heavens and the new earth because you trust in Christ. He takes you home after death or Christ comes back, takes you home early before death happens to you. And, And then you get to spend eternal Sabbath with God and His people forevermore. And so that's the whole purpose, is to point forward to remembering our hope. There's going to be ultimate Sabbath. Yeah, there will be work involved in the new heavens and the new earth, but this is a great place to be. This is a great place to worship God. This is a great place in which to enjoy God and enjoy His people forevermore. You and I dare not ignore the importance of taking a day of rest each week. God designed you. You are hardwired to need and to have and to enjoy this day off at least one day per week. You are not all-powerful like God. So don't think you can work every single day and every week and every, you know, every, every day of every year. And you know, Here's the thing. Any person I've encountered, have you encountered that person who works all the time? Like they never take a day off or rarely take a day off? Have you encountered this? Maybe this person is you. So you look in the mirror. Yeah, I've seen that person before. There they are in the bathroom mirror. And you see this person, they're working all the time, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 365 days a year, working all the time. Rarely, maybe, maybe they take a day off every six months. Let me ask you, is that person a well-rested person? Is that person's marriage doing well? Is that person's parenting going in a healthy direction? Uh, their, gender, their family life, you know, going well? Is their physical health, you know, good or not so good. Generally, they're eating at McDonald's every day. That's not a good pattern in which to follow because they don't have time to, to make meals and so forth, so on and so forth. You know, they, they sub, here's what's happening. They, have, they subconsciously have this God complex going on within, and they don't trust God. You see, they don't trust God. If I take a day off, then my business might not go that well. I won't make as much money if I take a day off or two, all right? And, and, and it's a ma- lack of trust. I don't trust God to provide for my needs, you see, and that's an issue. Let me talk about cars. As some of you know, I love cars too much. That's my idol. That was last week's sermon. And, uh, but a lot of us in this room have cars and, or SUVs, whatever it is. Your car, would you not agree, requires and needs 
regular maintenance. Your car needs oil changes approximately every 5,000 kilometers, just in case you didn't know. Your car needs tire changes. Your car needs repairs. Your car needs, don't forget, brake pad replacements and rotors. Don't forget about the rotors. If you have that pulsing going on when you press on the brake, you need new rotors, all right? And so on. If you don't regularly maintain your car, what happens to your car? It will not wear well. It will break down. It will not last for the long haul. It will, it will not last for the long haul. And neither will you. Neither will you last. Your kids need you to last for the long haul, if you're a parent, by the way. Neither will you last for the long haul if you don't apply the Sabbath principle to your life. Some people are like high-mileage cars that have not been maintained well, and it shows, does it not? So don't reach that point in your life where if you don't observe the principle of the Sabbath, sometimes God will force a Sabbath upon you and force you to rest through illness or just burnout, whatever happens. You don't want to reach that point of forced Sabbath. I've seen that happen to a lot of church planter and pastor friends as well. And God forces a Sabbath upon them because that's the only thing that will get their attention spiritually. All right, I think you get the point. Let's move on. That was commandment number four. Commandment number five, which is number two in your notes to continue to confuse everyone, is simply this. This is one of my favorites as a, as a dad and as a father. Simply, children, honor, respect, and defer to your parents in order to bring about God's blessing in your life. Isn't that cool? Children, you got to honor, you got to respect, and defer to your parents in order to bring about God's blessing in your life. Mom and dad, don't you just love this commandment? I'm, I love it. Uh, one of the first uh, verses in the Bible that I got my kids to memorize was Ephesians 6.1, which quotes this commandment, actually. And uh, the wisdom of God is all over this commandment. And we get this from verse 12. It says simply, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Let me first examine with you what the word honor means. What does it, what does it mean to honor your mom and dad? And, and by the way, this commandment applies to you adults. So a lot of us in this room have, uh, who are adults uh, have uh, uh, parents who are still alive. And uh, you may not be living with your parents anymore, but they're still around. And so this applies to you as well, adult children. And so to honor your parents means you show them respect, you obey them, you do, them, you do what your parents say unless they're telling you to do stuff that is breaking the law or is clearly not in the Bible. All right, but you generally, you obey your parents. Um, honoring your parents means you don't, do, you don't do any harm to your parents. And so fighting with your parents or physically assaulting them, that's not what it means to honor your parents. Honor your parents means you act positively uh, to them in order to do them good. So imagine doing your parents good. That is what kids are supposed to do. And so for, there's a lot of us in this room. You know, our, our kids are off by and large, in the kids' ministry. Uh, but let's talk about you adult kids for a second. A lot of us in this room have aging parents. Uh, and so for you to honor your aging parents, it includes providing for your parents if and when they have a need. Uh, it, it includes looking after your aging parents when there's a health emergency, just looking after them uh, in general. I think about Bruce. I'm putting him on the spot again. Every week, did you know that Bruce travels up uh, to uh, Squamish to visit his mom? every Tuesday, and your brother as well, who needs uh, help and assistance, and Bruce is doing that. Um, and that's, see, he's honoring his parents right there. Um, and the great thing about this command to honor your parents is that 
This is the only commandment amongst the Big Ten Commandments that includes a specific promise that will result if you obey this command, which is what? Did you see the promise there? That's right, that your days may be long and that you may live long in the land, so long life. And in the context of Moses and the Hebrew people back in 1200 B.C., did you know that average lifespans were in and around 30 to 40 years? So I'm 43 years old, you know, and yeah, that, that, that really summarizes what's going on. This is how, that's my emotional state, basically, um, which is not good. I, I need therapy, clearly. But generally, people would only live between 30 and 40 years. So I'm 43, I think it is, and, and I'd just be, I'd be on the, the cusp of, you know, heaven. Um, and, and so in that time, for you to live long, that was a wonderful promise. It's like, sweet, I can actually see my grandchildren, you know, maybe. Uh, but the, the, further, the, the, the greater part of that promise was, they were told by God, you will live long in the promised land. This was the land that God was going to give them, um, and that was a very attractive sort of uh, incentivizing promise that God gave. And the idea here is, if you honor your parents, yes, you will experience a long life. God may indeed give that to you. But a long life, more importantly, that is filled with God's presence and filled with God's favor. Think about this if you're a Christian parent. As a Christian parent, you know what your job is with your kids? Your job as a Christian parent is to help train up your kids in the ways of the Lord. So that's your job description. My job is to help my kids learn the ways of Jesus. Now, can we force our kids to become Christians? We cannot. Can we force our kids to follow Jesus? We cannot. That would backfire. We don't recommend that. But, Christian parents, you can sort of shepherd your kids from behind and guide them towards Jesus. Show them Jesus. Show them His beauty. Show them His love, His grace, His cross, His resurrection, His ascension. Show them your, the gospel. Show them the hope that they need for their future. And if sure enough, by God's grace, you are able to lead your child to Christ. Does it get any better than that? If you're able to do that, and God uses you in that way, well, at that moment, at that, at that moment that your child becomes a follower of Jesus, becomes a Christian, at that precise moment, your child gains access to so much, gains access to an actual real relationship with God, the most powerful and good person and, and beautiful person and helpful person in the universe. Major parenting win when you lead your, your kids to Christ. And assuming your child has become indeed a true born-again Christian, they now want to obey you. Why? Why do they want to obey you if they have also become a Christian? They want to obey you because they want to obey God. So they want to obey this fifth commandment. Praise God for that. And they have, as, as a Christian now, they have access to God's Holy Spirit who lives within them, who gives them the power and the desire to obey you as well. So there's just winds all over the place uh, with this command. Uh, and the, the greatest thing for your child, you know, if you're a Christian, it really does come down to, and speaking about the afterlife, there's a heaven and there's a hell. Real people go to one of those two places. The Bible's very clear about this. And, and is there any better thing than for you to imagine spending eternity in the new heavens and the new earth that God is currently preparing for us and, and being in that place with your kids? So they may not necessarily live a long physical life, 
but they will live a long life of blessing forevermore in God's presence with God's people that will last to eternity. And that's the benefit of obeying your parents if you're in Christ. So let's do all we can. Most of us in this room are adult kids. Some of us in this room, like myself, we've lost our parents already, so I guess I'm off the hook, uh, as, as it were. Uh, although I have other, I have a father-in-law, I should say, so I guess I'm not off the hook. But anyhow, let's do all we can to honor our parents, all right? And parents, let's do all we can to help our kids enjoy, obey us, and listen to what we say and honor us. Let's move on to commandment number six. So that was commandment number five. We've done number four, five. Now we're moving on to commandment number six. Like I said, this message will be shorter, which I think you're quite happy about. Number six commandment is number three is simply do not murder any fellow image bearer of God physically, even carelessly or negligently. can't say that today. Or verbally. Relationally, sorry. Do not murder any fellow image bearer of God physically, even carelessly or negligently, or verbally, relationally. And we get this from a couple of places. First of all, from verse 13 that Bruce read. It says very clearly, very explicitly, and very simply four words. Do you shall not murder. You shall not murder. And you need to know that the Hebrew word that the Old Testament was written in, the Hebrew word here used for the word murder is the word ratzak, and not only involves uh, the killing of another human being, but it also involves the causing the death of another person uh, through carelessness or negligent behavior. Through carelessness or negligent behavior. For example, driving carelessly when you crash into someone, all right, and and you do damage to them, or uh, being a bad parent, uh, sometimes we neglect our children. Is that ever a good thing? So, you know, it would be a worst-case scenario for you as a parent to neglect your kids and something bad happens to them. So murder covers all of these things. And, and all of these things are the opposite of what it means to love your neighbor, as Jesus commands his followers to do. Here's the Hebrew word for murder that does... Here, here is what the Hebrew word for murder does not include, Okay. It does not include uh, killing in a just war or being a soldier or killing in self-defense. That's another sermon for another day, but that would not be what this murder is speaking to. The main point that God is making here for us is how dare we, how, we, how dare we take the life of a fellow image bearer of God, some of that he has made to share some of his own qualities, that he has made in his own likeness, how dare we take their life away and their life breath? God desires for us to treat our families, treat our neighbors, treat our, our co-workers uh, with goodwill, with, with dignity, with respect, with generosity, uh, with love, even though they may treat us poorly. Jesus says we are supposed to love even our enemies. We're to love our own enemies, just like he loved us who were God's enemies. And along these lines, there's another aspect to commandment number six. Jesus not only affirms this command in Matthew chapter 5, you might, might recall these, uh, this teaching from what is known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, and Jesus takes this, thou shalt not murder, even further. And here's where he takes it. He says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother 
will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so, you see what this means? This means that it's possible for you, it is possible for me to murder someone with our words. It is possible for you to murder someone emotionally with your anger. Husbands, are you hearing this? Wives, are you hearing this? Children, are you hearing this? Parents, are you hearing this? Employees, are you hearing this? Bosses, are you hearing this? The old adage, you know what the old adage is? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. True or not? True or false? False! That's right. Baloney! Words hurt. Words slay like swords. Words stab. Words shoot. Words bludgeon. And so, follower of Jesus, let us not use our words to kill. Let us rather be wise, be self-controlled, be careful with your words. Use your words not to slay, not to murder. Use your words rather to build up, to encourage, to equip, to train, to, to fortify others. Yes, there is a time to confront someone else with your words. But that's still an act of love, you see. Confront when necessary, but love always. Let me ask you this. This is blunt. You ready for this? This is blunt. Who have you been murdering with your words recently? Seriously. Who have you been murdering with your words recently? I'm look. you know, how many fingers pointing back at me do I have as well? Who have I been murdering with my words recently? So what do we need to do to make things right? What do you need to do to make things right? To repent to that person, to then change, to stop that pattern of sinful behavior, to apologize to that person and then own your own sin, confess it to Jesus, receive His grace and change, and then use your words with love instead of anger. Use your words with love instead of a sword. Let's pray together. See what I mean? It is a little shorter today, so all of you are filled with joy. Lord, thank you for the clarity that these commandments give to us. And we live in a culture where there's a lot of non-clarity on a lot of things. And we just don't know what your will is for our lives. But these commandments show us what your specific will is for us and how to live lives that honor you and honor others and love you and love others. So we're grateful for the Ten Commandments. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make the Sabbath a priority in our lives, nor we understand we are not bound by that commandment any longer, that there is freedom with it, but to obey the Sabbath principle and to find rest, to be renewed by you in and to worship you on. Forgive us for overworking. Forgive us for not trusting you enough to take a Sabbath day. Lord, would you empower us to honor our parents? And I pray, Lord, that you would empower us also, Holy Spirit, to use our words for good instead of bad, to use our words for love, for loving you, loving others, instead of tearing them down and murdering murdering them and doing them harm. Lord, as we come to the Lord's table today, we know that you did only good for us, that you used yourself. You are the word of life, Lord Jesus. You are the word who was with God, and you are the word who is God, and you gave up your life for us so that we could be connected with you forevermore in heaven. And we're so grateful, Lord. May we remember and celebrate all that you've done for us in and through and by the gospel. And may we take this moment, Holy Spirit, lead us to a place of self-examination and confessing our sins to you in, these, in the ways that we've broken these commandments. 
and just confess these things to you now during the time of the Lord's Supper today and be made right by you and receive your ongoing grace. In Christ's name, amen. We're now going.